You're listening to Brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Wednesday morning. Now, let's turn to our next topic and guest of today. In the next 15 minutes or so, we're talking to writer and artist Sai Pradhan about her work and also what inspires her to create. And she joins us live this morning. Sai, it's great to see you this morning. How are you? Hi, Noreen. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you today. And we're live this morning on Facebook as well. I'd love for our listeners to join us there. I hope we're on. Yes, we are. Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. So, say, how did your art journey first begin? Take us back. Ooh. Well, I will try and put it in a nice, neat narrative, but life isn't really that way, is it? Um, it quite non-linear journey. Uh, I grew up in a household with two scientists who happened to be connected to paint. My mom is a really creative person, so besides her day job, She's been making everything from mosaics to knitting things to painting my whole life. And my father, who's a scientist, is an expert in paint manufacturing. So I like to sort of call that the origin story of where things are at the moment. Um, essentially grew up in a house surrounded by arts and crafts. Things were always available to me to experiment with. My school in India also had a pretty robust arts program, which... As I grow up, really, I've realized that's not common necessarily in primary and middle school. Um, when I moved to the States in my early teens, um, which was a very, you know, it was a time of great instability for me moving at that age. The second year that I was there, I transferred myself to a high school that specialized in fine and performing arts. So that was sort of my, you know, voluntary self-inclusion into the art sphere. Um, I find that kids of that age that opt into these things tend to be doing it for a reason. They usually were misfits and were trying to find their space. And I think it did help me to be around people like that who were sort of more interested in exploring what life was about. Um, through college, sort of a traditional thing happened to me, which is I started focusing on, oh, what am I supposed to do with my life? And art got sidelined more and more. Um, but everything I did in college and after that uh, has really contributed to the art I make now because the things I did were so eclectic. Um, I interned at the World Bank. I've worked at public relations firms. I worked at some of the largest tech companies of our time. And I really got to see how the world works, um, not to underline that too heavily because there's a lot more for me to see. But I think all of those things, the good and bad, really do add to how I see the world now, and that's what um, lends itself very well to the art that I make. Which, as you you know, you introduce me as a writer and an artist, and I appreciate that. It takes the form of things on canvas and in words. Yeah. When you were working in the tech world, did you miss the art? Did you miss that aspect of your life? Yeah. You know, Noreen, I was so busy that there were days I wouldn't eat lunch except for a smoothie. And I was taking calls at one in the morning and traveling at odd hours and the whole routine. So I think I remember once walking along South Bay Road and realizing that I hadn't enjoyed a very basic walk in a while. Just that sort of experience of hearing your heartbeat and noticing your sun. steps. Yeah, noticing the shadow from the trees sort of thing. And that's very, very disconcerting as a human being to get to that point. And art seemed to me to be the obvious pull um, because it was something I clearly was so interested in before. 
Uh, but, you know, art takes so many different forms. So I was curious to see what form I end up playing with this time. Um, paint was an obvious thing. Again, I'm just so used to having it around. So I started by buying smaller canvases. You know, that's what we all do in tiny apartments in Hong Kong. You buy small things and just sort of make do. And then there came a time in, I think it was 2018, 2019 or so, when work had really not been going the way I wanted it to. Um, and it started feeling really urgent to get myself to a place that I was happy with. And happy is not necessarily a chirpy, positive kind of happy, just something that you're satisfied with yourself. Like a self-contentment. Yeah, exactly. And then I read this quote that many people read when they read Mary Oliver. I'm going to refer to that here so I don't mess it up. I'll still paraphrase it to be safe. But she wrote that the most regretful people on earth are those who feel the creative call but don't give it time and energy. And that really struck a chord in me because that's what was happening. Um, and so now I think where I am now, which is me basically dedicating myself to, to the canvas and to my words, is me trying to commit to that idea. Um, I'm 40 years old. I like to say that because I'm happy to say that, actually, because where I am today is definitely because of all the years that have passed. Yeah, wow. And that's a really deep sort of perspective. Um, and 40 is young um, <laughs> and it's not old, um, but it's old enough to give you enough experience to make you appreciate where you are in life and to, you know, to move forward right. in that in that creative sphere. You mentioned just now, you know, the type of art that you're focusing is on the canvas. I'm not very good with, with, with art. So what sorts of, do you create abstract art? What sorts of things do you draw on, on the canvas? Mm. I do make a lot of abstracts. I think there's something tremendously cathartic for me uh, in making bold, high texture pieces. The bigger the canvas, the better is how I'm feeling these days. And the only constraint is really the size of my studio space, which is a bedroom in my apartment. <laughs> Let's be real. Um, and in terms of the writing, I have turned from writing opinions for the press to more fiction and personal essays in literary magazines, which I always say to friends and family is an exercise in rejection. <laughs> because you just have to keep throwing the arrow at the board. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter qualitatively, actually, what you've written. Sometimes it makes sometimes it and sometimes it, it doesn't. Yes. Of course, you only submit what you yourself think is qualitatively high in your own uh, consideration. Um, so that's sort of the form it's taking. But more recently, I've also been taking to oil paint um, and making these sort of figurative pieces. A lot of them happen to be self-portraits, which I know can sound egotistic, but they're not necessarily flattering portraits of me. Um, and it's really more to give myself a space uh, to see myself be represented, which is not something that has happened often in my life. But I'm also exploring two things. One is the idea of women at leisure, not child rearing or working in corporate jobs, which is the two modes we are apparently permitted to live in, um, to choose a third way. Um, and again, it's not that that means I'm very good at leisure myself, but it's an attempt. And so, for example, the one piece I've been working on for a while is myself in my living room reading in peace. Um, it's something that hasn't happened in some time. I do read a lot now again. Um, but I like to think of that notion of what women can do when we're just free, uh, which happens very rarely. And then the other piece with the sort of more figurative oil paints uh, are a series called Gaze. 
um, in which I'm exploring how women feel um, due to the fact that we're always looked at and we always have to consider what people think of us, whether we want to or not. Yeah. What sorts of events did inspire you for Gaze? Um, it's a wonderful series, a, a series of, of man, many paintings. Remind our listeners, what's your yes. website so they can quickly sure. hop on? Um, it's www.saipradhanart.com, S-A-I-P-R-A-D-H-A-N-A-R-T.com. The Gaze series, it's women holding binoculars in various settings. They all look like me to me, but that was bound to happen. Um, you'll notice if you look through some of them, a lot of them are sort of versions of me holding dogs <laughs> in various places uh, because I, I have three dogs and I love them. Um, as simple as that. But um, I like the concept of a woman holding binoculars to look very deeply at the world, which is very intent on judging her and looking back at her at all times. And with binoculars, obviously, one's vision is magnified. So a little bit, it's a, it's a bit feisty. It's a sort of, I see you looking at me, but I'm looking at you with a magnifying glass. <laughs> and I sort of like that concept. And I, I see myself continuing to work on that for a while. I've also been reading more the, um, the sort of philosophy behind the, the gaze aspects, because a lot of people who came before me, much smarter than myself from various fields, have actually dissected it. Uh, W.E.B. Dubois talked about it as double consciousness in the context of African-Americans, um, you know, minorities being made to feel like they were under the lens uh, all the time. So you forget what you are, what you're supposed to be and what you want to be when you're too busy trying to play a part because that's the only thing you're permitted to be. A minority and a woman, whereas exactly. you should just be a person. Yeah. And then Simone de Beauvoir extrapolated from that to take it to the cause of women, which made complete sense to me. And recently I read uh, something Rebecca Solnit wrote, she, who kind of brought both those things together, which makes all kinds of sense to me. And that's sort of what led to this notion of a woman holding binoculars in different settings. Um, I also happen to like binoculars when I travel. And so there's something about the aesthetic, isn't it? Um, yeah. A piece of equipment, which, all, of course, that's the other thing. Women are usually, even today, supposed to be bad at tech in all ways. So there's something fun about um, portraying that. Yeah. I love binoculars, too. <laughs> I was given a pair when I was nine. <laughs> so oh, I always wonderful. used to sit on my grandma's balcony and always look at the, yeah. um, the hiking trails and, and other people possibly looking at me. <laughs> now... What do you do when you don't feel like creating art? Mm. Um, happens a lot, actually. It uh, has happened very recently to me because uh, of my three dogs, we lost one of them at the end of last month, which was absolutely devastating. And this little dog has sort of been with me through the, um, the years of me cementing my identity as, you know, this is what I want to do. So he was always in my studio, literally by my side the whole time uh, with me, being quite distracted trying to keep him from eating paint and brushes. Uh, but that's been a hard thing, for example. And yesterday, this is quite interesting timing, yesterday was the first time I went into my studio after a few weeks to actually start doing something. Interestingly, the first thing I chose to do was to rip up an old canvas and stick pieces of it on a new one. Um, so I think sometimes time and space is what you need. Um, yeah. I turn to books a lot um, when anything happens in life, really. And I think just seeing the perspective of others is very useful to not feel lonely in whatever grief you're carrying with you. Yeah, and sometimes art 
and and reading is really the best kind of catharticness that you really need to 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 let out those feelings. Yeah. Do you? F- yes. Sorry. No. Yeah. Things happen in a in a sort of nice synchronistic way as well. I was I chanced upon a book by Tessa Hadley, which I was reading last week, who writes about sort of the small domesticities of female life. And one of the paragraphs, she mentions something very much akin to the double consciousness and the gaze aspects that I mentioned. So clearly, female authors have been thinking about this for some time. And it's quite wonderful to come upon something that I've been, been so fixated on as well. Yeah. yeah, and people have been thinking about it. So it sort of makes me feel like I'm in a conversation with other thoughtful people. Yeah. What other things inspire you to, to, to create? I mean, when you're out and about, are you watching other people? <laughs> do, do you like to, um, yeah, people uh, observe what, what yeah. the dynamics between people or yeah. conversations between people? You know, as someone who has been an immigrant many times over in multiple countries, I do think the role of an observer comes naturally to me. It was one that I was forced into in a, in a way. Um, I contemplated journalism, Noreen, for a long time, and you, you understand what I mean. You know, you kind of need to be able to observe for that job. Um, and certainly observation helps, but I think really to put it in almost an annoyingly trite way, I think art is the way I try to process life. Um, you know, how all of us as fragile humans on this planet make meaning for ourselves. Mm. And this is a way in which I'm making meaning for myself. Um, It's everything from, I did a series called Uncertainty and Possibility, which was just very large calligraphic strokes on canvas, to a series called Absurdity. Uh, I love existential philosophy, I'm quite drawn to it. And to to tie it back to my dog, which I always will, um, it was about the absurdity of adopting an old dog. And that has certainly turned, you know, uh, it, there's a new level of pathos to that now since he's died a few weeks ago. Uh, so things like that, really, it could be anything um, that makes me think, that has given me pause. Wow, adopting an old dog, switching the topic, that takes a certain kind of personality and another level of love and care to really, yeah, you love. You know, the thing with dogs is, I think... Yes, there is a lot of love and care, certainly from the human side of it, but they give us so much back. It's absolutely ridiculous. They're the purest creature I can think of. They really are. Now, um, when you are curating your, you you recently had an exhibition. When you're curating an exhibition, what's the process like? I'm always Mm. curious, you know, what paintings or which artworks do you think to include? Which ones do you think are oh, not right now? Or does that change in the yeah. in, in the entire, entire period of right. curating it? You know, I'm at the beginning of my journey, I think, when it comes to public exhibitions. So at the moment, one of my pieces, one of the Absurdity series is in the Hong Kong Arts Collective exhibit, which is still running, everybody. Uh, so go see it at 181 Gloucester Road. Um, and there will be four pieces in the Affordable Art Fair with another gallery soon which is fun to think about. But I think in terms of what should be exhibited, it's a it's a curious one because there's a commercial aspect to art, of course, which as much as I try to keep away from it because I wanted this for me to not be... Let me not put it so absurdly as for it not to be a commercial pursuit. At some point, it has to for me to pay the rent. <laughs> but uh, I want it to not be involved in the business side of things. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to public exhibits, you're forced to think about it. And so I do rely on the galleries to tell me, you know, what might suit 
the footfall that yeah. they see. Uh, I hear things, you know, there are trends. There are trends in Hong Kong, aren't there? Um, but at the moment, I think I'm probably bucking a trend by being a female artist who does these abstracts in particular. So we'll just have to see where that goes. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting, though. And finally, um, you, you explained a little bit more about the messages behind your pieces. In the future, is there anything in the pipeline that you're working on um, at the moment? Well, may I share a quote from Audre Lorde? She's written... For there are no new ideas, there are only new ways of making them felt, of examining what those ideas feel like. And so I think I leave it open to myself to think of what ideas come to me. Um, and they are bound to be somewhat unoriginal in that way because someone has probably tackled them before me, but I hope to put my spin on them and put my life's perspective on them. But I am very excited to work on the Gaze series a bit more. At the moment, I'm also, this will sound unfocused, but these are the two things that interest me. I am very interested in taking old canvas scraps and replacing them on a new canvas, which is what I started doing yesterday. Um, and again, with the abstracts, my love for them is the bigger, the better. They just look very, very cool to me. And there's something very cathartic about making an abstract piece. Um, and oil painting, meanwhile, is not quite as cathartic because you do have to be quite uh, delicate with it. And it takes ages to dry in Hong Kong weather. Oh, yeah, because it's so humid. Yes, indeed. Gosh. Talk us through the process. So what do you do with the old work? So you, you take it apart, you, you rip it or you cut it or and then you place it. Yeah. Explain that a little bit. My husband was telling me yesterday I should have videoed the very violent activity in my studio <laughs> because I had a very large canvas. The frame had sort of warped, which is what led me to want to rip it up anyway. But I actually did really like what I had created on it. So it was a bit painful as well. Yeah. But with a warped frame, there's not too much you can do about it sometimes. The reframing is very, very expensive in Hong Kong. And so I took a few box cutters and scissors and had at it. Um, but of course, sort of, you know, cutting in patterns, um, yeah. a la Matisse, <laughs> uh, as, I, as I wanted to. Um, and yeah, I think there's something very, very good about, um, you know, having a studio space, which was a commitment I made to myself to give myself that, which is not easy, to be really honest, in a Hong Kong flat. Mm. Uh, but to create that space, a room of one's own and all that, um, to have a dedicated space where there's actual storage for my paintings, there's bins for my paint, and there's a massive easel. I don't have to work on a small scale anymore. I have boxes with my name on it. You know, I think you have to make it real for yourself. And you owned it. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sai, it's such a pleasure to meet you and to talk to you today. Remind our listeners once again, what's your website and how can they find out more about your work? Oh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity, Noreen. The website is www.saiprathanart.com, S-A-I-P-R-A-D-H-A-N-A-R-T.com. And I am on Instagram, saiprathanart. You'll find me there. Excellent. And I look forward to more of your art and I'll continue to look forward to more to the gaze series. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much.